I can't quite remember where it was that I first learned the song as a child, I've Got Peace Like a River. I bet some of you know that song. And I'm going to put you to the test because we're just about to sing the first verse of it. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. Well, it has persisted well across the years. You and I singing this song and remembering. Do you remember that you also are supposed to have love like an ocean and joy like a fountain? This is important to remember. But the song is set in motion to have peace like a river. And it is not something that is simply proposed. It is something that is actually put in place. The singers of this song, those original children, whomever they might have been, were asked to sing the lyrics, I've got peace like a river. This is already a part of who I am. I have a feeling that this song was generated by some Sunday school teacher somewhere that had a class that was so malformed there was nothing peaceful about it. And she thought to herself prayerfully, what can I do? God help me, what can I do? And came up with the lyrics for this song that she began to plant in the hearts of those children the next time she was with them. This is something that we have to live into, this matter of peace. Jesus at the Last Supper knew this well. He spoke to his disciples of peace. Do you remember that in the 14th chapter, as John has recorded this, Jesus says, I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. These words he spoke to his disciples just after having washed their feet. Just before his going to Gethsemane for that heart-wrenching prayer and just before he was crucified, before he was placed into the tomb and before he rose from the dead, these are the words that he spoke to his disciples. And as well at this same meal, he spoke these words to them as he shared, I have said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. Easter appearances of Jesus on that first day are an echo of what Jesus had most on his mind during the preceding days before his death and in those days that came just after the resurrection. So many times he spoke to his disciples, peace be with you. Here in this passage that was read just a few moments ago, did you pick up on the words of Jesus to his disciples as he gathered with them behind 
their locked doors for fear. He spoke to them and said, peace be with you. And again, he said it to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Peace is not always so easy to come by, is it? If the sea is not troubled, it is easy to be at peace. But if there are difficulties in life that would cause us to be in fear, peace quickly evaporates. The turbulence and the threats of life, the disruptions to our plans, the pain that we had not anticipated, the fear, the conflict that is a part of relationships, And there are the antagonizers, those who have no part in keeping peace or making it. I would ask you this morning, what is it that's disturbing you, even at this present time? What is it that is troubling you? Is there someone or something that is keeping you out of sorts and not a part of the peace that Christ wishes to bring to our lives. I was at a meeting recently toward the first of this year um, at the location of a former church that I served, where I served as pastor. The meeting was being hosted there by several members of the congregation for a number of other pastors and persons that are going through an ordination process of preparation. At that time, when we had a a moment for lunch break, one of the hostesses to that meal, who was a former member of the church where I served, came to me and she wanted to take a walk down memory lane. And so we began to talk about things that we remembered together when I was pastor there. And finally she came to say to me, she said, you remember one person who particularly gave you such a problem when you were here. And actually my mind went to several persons that had given me a problem and she did not identify the individual by name, which is a good thing. But she said, she said, you remember that person who gave you such a problem? And I shook my head and I said, yes, I, I remember. And she said, he's back at it again. She said, pray for us. And I thought, we all need to be praying for each other for the long-time disturbance that our living might do within the world. You and I are called to embody peace. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me Jesus says, so I send you. At the beginning of our time together, we have a place in the bulletin that we call time of greeting. And you all enjoy it very much. In fact, you hear me each Sunday calling you down to be back in your pew in order that we can be quiet and uh, 
respective of the reverence of the beginning of worship. And I don't fault you on wanting to visit with each other. Uh, This is such an important part of community life. Um, It has been known over the ages as the passing of the peace. We don't denote it in that way in our bulletin, but the passing of the peace is an important idea for us to treasure and to keep. Uh, For the church has made this a part of itself and its liturgy. And just as on Easter Sunday, we know the words to speak. If I say Christ is risen, you know what to say, right? I think we need to try this again. Christ is risen. risen And so we carry that in our hearts and in our minds, our spirits, as a part of greeting in the church across the years, it has been the tradition to speak these words, not just how are you doing, um, but to say, Christ's peace be with you. And the response is, and also with you. And as we share in this peace that Christ has given to us, There is a dynamic that draws us in and is this hopefulness in our voices and in our eyes and in our embrace of each other that we would be embodying the very peace that Christ has gifted to us. This is not something that is always so easy for those that are familiarizing themselves with liturgy and with worship. In fact, I have read just recently that the part of the worship service that is most uncomfortable for those that are first time or second time visitors is the time of greeting. Isn't that strange for the congregation as a whole who seems to enjoy it so much that anyone would be uncomfortable. But think about this just a little bit. If you are new to the assembly and if people are greeting you as if they know you, as if they know you, isn't there a disconnect there? And what are we to do? What are we to do? We are trusting that God will improve that sense of relationship to the point that we truly are able to share in Christ's peace together. I had one member who on leaving this morning at 845 of the worship service, he smiled at me and he said, you will never know just how to the point that was with me. He said, I was so bashful growing up that as a young adult, when I would attend worship, I would plan it to show up after the time of greeting. And I smiled and I said, now you are here on time. And he said, I've grown accustomed to the ways. God seeks to plant his seeds of peace in our midst. We are welcomed to be a part of treasuring in our hearts that inner peace, but even more so to allow for that relational peace that is so crucial to doing the work of community. I have enjoyed planting 
I've become quite the farmer this spring. At least I want to think of myself in that way. It's not but just six little tomato plants, but for me, it's the back 40, you know. And they are almost knee high, and I realize that I've got to stake them. I was talking with a real connoisseur of tomatoes just yesterday, and he was telling me, you need to cover them. And I said, cover them? I want them to drink in the sun. But he said, oh no, he, he said, there are bugs that are thinking right now about the beautiful tomatoes that will come on your vines. And he said, you need to order a certain type of fabric that will let the sun in, but keep the bugs out. And he had all of these ideas. And I thought, this is going to be interesting. And I also thought, this is going to be expensive. It's not the only thing I've planted, though. Um, my dear friend Hadley Campbell, whom you know and love as well, um, I was talking with him about his project man management of his wife's um, monarch butterfly collection that comes every year at this time as she prepares her students to watch the process of the birthing of butterflies from chrysalises. But it all starts with the planting of milkweed. And they have just done this in their backyard. I was so interested. I said, Hadley, bring me some seeds. And he did bring me some seeds. I said, how many seeds you got in that little, bo that little box? And he said, about 200. And so I have planted milkweed in the backyard. He said, don't cover it with much soil, just a little bit, and they'll take care of the rest. And they are poking their heads through the soil, even as I speak. And I talked with Hadley about it. I said, they're so small. He said, give them time. They're weeds. They will grow. And the beautiful thing about this is that the butterflies will come and we'll find these wonderful leaves of milkweed and they will deposit their eggs on the underside of the leaf, which will then turn to caterpillars, almost microscopic at first, and then they will begin to devour the plant and they will form their chrysalises and then they will turn into butterflies and they will make that fantastic journey to Mexico and back up into North America and start this generational trip once again. What a beautiful thought that what we might do here would have an effect on the entirety of what's going on in this process. This is Jesus's way of communicating Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. We participate because of the seeds that Christ has planted in us. Jesus breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I think because this is the Holy Spirit's work, that we would embody peace and that we would share peace. This was the precursor to Pentecost as Jesus gave to them this power, this power of peace, this power truly of forgiveness that sets peace in place. At my ordination and still to this day at every ordination within the United Methodist Church, 
a bishop stands before those that are to be received and sent on their way and says, take thou the authority. And Jesus says here, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Some good meaning church leaders in past years have made the mistake of saying, oh, this is giving us permission to do whatever we want, which is not what Jesus is saying at all. Can you imagine Jesus giving us instruction to not forgive somebody? Think about this just a little bit. Can you imagine Jesus, the one who said in response to the disciples asking the question, how many times should we forgive? He was trying to think in infinite ways, seven times 70, let's count that. Can you imagine Jesus giving us permission not to forgive anyone? When Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. We connect, but do we receive the next word? If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is a very weighty matter. And you and I know how this plays out because it happens in our families all the time. By unforgiveness, we do such damage, not only to ourselves, but to all who are involved. We are called to be the very presence of the Spirit and to take the authority to forgive. And this is that particular ingredient upon which peace becomes lodged not only within us, but in society, in culture, throughout creation. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, the apostle Paul shares his heart on this matter. He says, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Eddie Hillisom, a Jew born in Amsterdam, was a young adult at the time of the Nazi invasion. She was carried away to Auschwitz, that concentration camp, where she lost her life. <clears throat> Over the course of her hiding, and also observing the effects of the Nazi regime on all culture as she knew it. She stated great truth and great wisdom and great understanding. <clears throat> Just as Anne Frank, her younger contemporary, was also reflecting on her life, Eddie Hillisom reflected in this quote that I now share. Ultimately, we have just one moral duty, to reclaim large areas of peace in ourselves, more and more peace, and to reflect it to others. The more peace there is in us, 
the more peace there will be in our troubled world. I've shared this quote on several occasions from this pulpit. Some of you may remember that six months ago I read this quote. Just in case you may forget, I'm going to read it again. Ultimately, we have just one moral duty to reclaim large areas of peace in ourselves. More and more peace and to reflect it to others. The more peace there is in us, the more peace there will be in our troubled world. This is the very nature of Christ in our midst. And it is my prayer, as I hope it is yours as well, that God may use us as rivers of peace as rivers of peace in our families, in our community, in our state, our nation, in our world. May God use us as he seeks that we would be embodied with Christ's peace.